always, it's such a joy to be with you today. We're blessed to have the privilege of studying our Bibles. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 19. And today, we're going to conclude this first section of the chapter. I've called it Foundations of Christian Marriage. As we will discover today in his discussion on marriage, Jesus does not leave out those of you who are single. If you were listening earlier this morning, neither does Paul the Apostle, and we're going to be marrying his passages to the words that he said there in 1 Corinthians 7 to what Jesus says here. Paul gives us another inspired, deeper understanding of Jesus' words here in Matthew. So your Bibles are open. Let me read to you the first 12 verses of Matthew 19. Pay special attention to the last three verses, 10, 11, 12. That will be the focus of our attention today. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but in Ireland there is a female counterpart to St. Patrick. Her name is Bridget. They celebrate her on the first day of February, and they put these pretty little straw crosses on their doors to celebrate Bridget. If you just look up Bridget Cross, you'll see that on Google. She did live in the time of Patrick and has led some to assume that it was Patrick who baptized her, though I'm not sure there's any evidence of that. And it does bring up the fact that people who did live 16, 1700 years ago, sometimes there are some myths that surround them and We just have to sort of focus on what we know to be true. One uh, idea I read as I looked at her story was that she was an early pioneer for feminism and women pastors, but again, there's no evidence of that. Though she did help start some churches and some uh, convents, there's no evidence that she was an early pioneer for feminism. We do know some things about Bridget, though. Let me tell you what these are. What do we know about Bridget? For one, we know that she was an illegitimate child of a king. A king had had her with probably a prostitute, and we know that because of this indignity, she was sold into slavery by that king, 
And eventually she made the circuit through several owners and eventually made her way back to the king's palace. The king actually bought his own daughter as a slave into his house. So she was sort of half daughter, half slave in his home. We also know that people considered Bridget very beautiful. There were a number of men who wanted to marry her, knowing especially that she might even be the daughter of the king, even though she is a slave. They were very interested in marrying Bridget. But we also know that she was passionately dedicated to Jesus Christ. And because of that commitment, she was profoundly generous, constantly giving to people who had need. One more thing we know about Bridget is that she never married She never got married. In fact, she focused all of her attention on ministry. Her father bought her back as a slave and quickly realized that she loved to give. In fact, she loved to give his things away to other people. Uh, In fact, she would spend time after dinner and she would go to the back side of the castle and poor people would gather there and she would hand the leftover food and other things out to the poor people uh, out the back door of the castle. One afternoon when Uh, Her dad was finally, dad or owner, I guess, was finally tired of all this giving. He took her to a a man's house and he told her to stay in the chariot while he went and talked to this man about selling her to him as his wife. And uh, as they were in there discussing, she began to give the things away that were there in his carriage or chariot. In fact, she gave away this beautiful sword that was really, really valuable, gave it to a leper who was passing by and begging for food. At the end of the afternoon, the man came out realizing what she had done to her father. He said, I can't afford this lady. I'm out. Well, Bridget never got married. In fact, very soon after that, her father kicked her out of the house, and she continued. She continued to be generous. She did everything they could to help impoverished people. She actually was so generous, the the Irish actually came up with a little hymn or a little rhyme that they say on on St. Bridget's Day, about her giving away things to people, giving away food to people. She went around and helped the sick and helped the poor and the indigent, and it became sort of a a known thing that this is what she did, and and people, ladies especially, began to gather around her and and, and listen to her and actually be trained by her. She she trained younger ladies to do the same thing, to to give to people and to, when they give, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. She, She led many, many people to Christ. Eventually, Bridget would open up some schools, and from those schools, people would go out, and they would start churches, and she helped start many, many churches. And it's said that over the course of her life, she led over 15,000 people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I tell you the story of Bridget is because she, definitely in that day, could not have accomplished what she did for the kingdom had she been married. In that day, as you might surmise, marriage and children would have precluded her from doing much ministry. Even if her uh, husband would have been godly and kind and generous himself, it would have been very hard in that day when you're just trying to survive and just get enough food for your own children, it would have been hard for her to carry out this ministry. But because she was single, God gave her this great gift so that she could lend to the kingdom the message of the gospel and a ministry to the poor. Well, this brings us to where we are in Jesus' words here in Matthew 19. Jesus has been talking about marriage. We've been following along. If you've been taking notes, there's several points we've made that sort of fall from what Jesus says. One, marriage is a treasure woven into creation. 
Two, marriage is a parable picturing our salvation. Three, marriage unity and harmony should be pursued at all costs. Four, marriage is broken because of sin. Now, it's important to point out at this juncture that all but one of the disciples were single. Peter was the only married guy among them. A generation later or so, there was a a church historian by the name of Clement, and he said, we think maybe Philip could have been married as well. We know later on, many of the, uh, the apostles were married. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5 says, Peter and the other apostles' wives, so there were other wives among them. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, it was a whole bunch of single men and Peter. And here they are, listening to Jesus' instruction on marriage, probably scratching their heads saying, this is not very relevant to us as single guys, maybe later on. But particularly right now, this seems a little bit of a burden. In fact, as they thought about what Jesus said, and the boy, it seems like a hard row to hoe to, to be married. I mean, you've got to really work hard, and you gotta, there's dangers on every side, and you've got to fight for marriage unity and harmony, and you've got to work at these things. It just seems so difficult. And so they asked what you might expect a bunch of single guys would ask. Well, is it just better just not to marry altogether, just stay single the rest of our lives? Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That sounds really hard, Jesus. Wouldn't it be better just to stay single, not get married? Well, in so many words, Jesus says no, but he uses this opportunity to teach us about singleness, how we should think of being single. And I've summed it up in point number five, if you've been taking notes along, singleness is a gift of God for His kingdom. Singleness is a gift of God for His kingdom. Now, let's just see what's going on here. Jesus speaks of eunuchs, and simply put, that's the way that Jesus is speaking of single people. A eunuch is an unmarried person. History earlier, you can follow back with the meaning of eunuch, and it's kind of weird and deals with slavery and castration and all this weird stuff, and uh, it's quite gross if you look at it. But clearly here, Jesus is not speaking of the physical uh, eunuchs. He's speaking of a, of a spiritual, an idea of being single. He later, later on says uh, they make themselves eunuchs. Clearly, the Bible teaches against self-mutilation, so this is something that Jesus is talking about spiritually. He's talking about people who are single. And he gives us the different types of singles. It really cover, covers all the singles that you can imagine in terms of types of singles. You have singles who've never been married for whatever reason. This is something from birth. You have singles who have been made so by men. And I take that to mean either through divorce or through death. They have lost their spouse. Then you have singles, and Jesus doesn't specify how they became single. But these are those who've decided they will remain single to pursue a specific kingdom and gospel objective. This would be like St. Bridget, or perhaps you know people. Uh, Becky and I are really good friends with a, a young lady who is uh, in Asia, and she deals with human trafficking, especially ladies who have been prostitutes. And, and she knew as she went there, she knew, probably not going to find a, a solid group of single men that I can choose from. This is probably going to be my course of life. Now, God could surprise her. We all know that that can happen. But she knew in doing that that this would be something that she'd be dedicated to fully for the kingdom. Now, just an aside, some people use this verse about 
making yourself a eunuch or making yourself single for the kingdom. People have used that to uh, defend their desire to be divorced. This is not what Jesus is saying. Every once in a while, someone comes to me, well, you know, I just, I want to do all this wonderful gospel stuff, but my wife, she's just an old ball and chain, and I can't get rid of this, and I want to do all these wonderful things. Well, you'd have to break a bunch of biblical standards and principles, not the least of which is no divorce, as he mentioned earlier in this very passage. Now, this is not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about people who are already single who decide to remain so to pursue specific kingdom objectives. So, the disciples ask this question, Jesus, how about just not getting married? Sounds kind of hard, sounds sort of challenging, there are pitfalls on every side, you have to just focus on loving your wife and cherishing her and doing all these things. Why don't we just remain single? To their question, Jesus answers, not everyone can receive this saying, the saying of not getting married, being single. Not everyone can receive this, but only those whom it is given. Then you look down at verse 12 at the end. It says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This brings us to the first principle of being single. Being single has great hardship. Being single has great hardship. It is hard to be single. And all the singles in the room say, amen, brother. It's a difficult thing oftentimes to be single, especially if you've been at it for a while. There's a certain hardship that Jesus is pointing out here. And especially if you include divorce and death, these, these are even harder things that can happen to somebody to, to put them in singlehood that they didn't even choose. This is not something they wanted, and here they are. They find themselves in this very difficult, hard situation. There, there's pain. There's difficulty. You know, the, the, the disciples are coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, you know, it seems like marriage is a really a hard thing, and why not just stay single? And Jesus says, basically, you know, singleness is a hard thing too. Not everyone can be single. This is hard. In fact, most are not able to be single. The best number I could come up with as I looked around at statistics is that in America, 96% of adults marry. Now, we know a lot of them divorce as well, but 96% of adults marry. We can't help ourselves. We're not able to be singles. The loneliness is too much. The, the promise of, of romance and the benefits of, of marriage and partnership, children, all the fruit of marriage is, is too much. It's our natural. It's our biological call. I mean, there's something inside of us in a biological way that's, that's calling us to marry. It's how we're wired physically. It's how we're wired mentally, spiritually. So it's hard to be single. It has a unique set of hardships, and Jesus says it takes a unique ability, an ability that needs to be given to you by God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it, only to those whom it is given. That word given implies that God has to work in your heart. God has to give you a certain amount of grace, a specific kind of grace in order to be single. What are the hardships you face? Well, the most obvious one would be loneliness. This would be the most difficult hardship. You have to arm yourself. If you're a single, you're going to find loneliness, something that you come into time and time again. You're going to have to arm yourself with God's Word. Fill your heart with the words of Scripture. I think of Psalm chapter 25, turn to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Of course, the psalmist goes on and says, nevertheless, I will trust in you. 
Fix your eyes on Christ. Who was more lonely than Christ on the cross? Everybody, even those closest to him, had turned against him. He would be even judged by God up on that cross, experiencing a loneliness like no other. You're forced as a single to live a life without these partners. It's difficult to do this, but the joy is, as with all hardship for anybody, the joy is as you do this, it has a sanctifying effect upon you. It makes you rely on Christ like no other. There, there is a grace that you need as a single person. There is a, a, a love from Christ and with Christ, a, a kind of unity with Christ that you need that people who have spouses don't need and they don't experience. They don't know what it's like. You have to rely on Christ more in that sense than they do. And you have to find fulfillment in places that even married folks are not aware of, even if it's with the tears of loneliness. As singles, you also face a, a lack of purpose, a lack of uh, perhaps things to do. In other words, you find yourself to be bored. And you have this all the time. You're alone. It's a real challenge to keep yourself full and busy, active. I mean, it's easy with a big family, right? I mean, it's easy with my kids going in and out, things happening all the time, but not for you. I think especially of our many widows who are in our church. You live this full life, and there's this family, and then your, your kids grow up and move out of the house, and your husband passes away, and there you are. You're alone. What, now, what, now what do you do? Do I watch TV? What do I do with my time? Again, you fill your life with the truth of God's Word. You read all the warnings against slothfulness. You read words from like Colossians chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, to do these things heartily, to find something to work on and go to work it, at it. You read passages like Ephesians 5.16 about redeeming the time and not letting Satan have a foothold in your life, and that is a true temptation, I think, for all singles, whatever that temptation may be. That's another hardship. Another hardship you face is misunderstanding from others unless they've experienced what you have. It's hard for folks to understand exactly what you're going through. You, you feel alone, not just in the sense that you are alone, but you feel alone that people don't know what you're going through. And they don't know what it's like to be where you are. So again, you focus your attention on Christ. You focus your attention on gratitude and thankfulness. You don't grow bitter. You fix your eyes on Christ alone. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? Jesus says it's a hard thing to be single. And those of you who are single, you know this. Now, this is about all that Jesus exposes to us, but Paul sort of expands, under the inspiration of the Spirit, expands what Jesus says about singleness. So I want you to keep your finger there in Matthew and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've already read some of this today in the service, so you've heard some words already. If you're single and you've been around Christ very long, you probably yourself have read these words with great interest. What's going on here? What does the Bible say about being single? What we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul sort of cycles through, repeats himself several times in this. And what we see here is a second principle that I wrote down about being single is this. Being single has great blessing. Yes, it has great hardship, but it also has great blessing. Here in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is he's talking about marriage and the duties and requirements of marriage. Then he says, look at verse 6, Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am. 
But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What's he saying? He's saying, I love being single. I embrace this idea. I embrace my singleness. I see this as a great blessing. In fact, there in verse 7, he says, each has his own what? Gift. He considers singleness a gift. I know that when you're all alone at home at night, singles, may be difficult to think of this as a gift. And Paul considered it a gift. It's a gift of God. Verse 8, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, so I think that's one idea of the gift. The gift is it forces you to have a kind of self-control that others, it's not required of others to have, especially married people. You have to have a kind of self-control. You have to have a kind of self-discipline that is not required of others. You think of certain uh, job descriptions. Certain people with certain jobs have to have a level of fitness, right, that, that we don't have to have. Football season is starting. You see all these athletes. They're amazingly fit. I'm not required as a pastor to be as fit as the people on the football field. I mean, I know I look like I'm as fit as the people on the football field, but I'm not. Well, singles, there's a certain level of, of spiritual fitness that is required of you that is not required of those of us who are married. Now, those of us who are married, there's a different kind of spiritual fitness that's required, but, but you have a kind of spiritual fitness you have to live up, up to, a certain self-control. Now, I, I think this is a blessing. It may be a blessing in disguise, but it's a blessing. Paul considers it a gift. You must pursue this maturity, this uh, spiritual growth in terms of your self-control. And I'll tell you this, there are a number of people who are long-term singles. They're perhaps lifelong bachelors, or maybe they were divorced many years ago. And as I talk to them, I usually find, if they really love the Lord, what I usually find is an amazing amount of self-discipline and self-control. I'm almost jealous of them. Wow, this is amazing how disciplined this person is. Verse 38, so then, again, Paul sort of skips around. He touches these things uh, here and there, so we'll kind of move around the chapter. Verse 38, so then, he who marries, marries his betrothed as well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, I, I don't think he's saying universally better and all singles are better than married people. I'm not, he's not saying that. He's talking about in this respect, in this context, there's a certain level of discipline that singles will have and they will be better at than people who are married. Look at verse 32. More blessings here. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You can focus your anxieties not on family and spouse, but on the Lord. You can focus your desires and your hopes on God alone. Earlier in the passage, he's talking about how the world is passing away and things are tough. He says in verse 28, I want to spare you these troubles that will multiply as you have a wife and family. And it's true, if you're single, you don't have to worry about your wife who's driving home through a bad part of town late at night. You don't have to worry about your kids who are going off to college and they're meeting people. You don't know who they are, and you're, you're hoping that they're good people and will influence her in the right way. 
You don't have those worries. You don't have those concerns. You're not staying on top of those things and calling and checking on and helping disciple and trying from a distance to continue to have influence on your children or your spouse. And it's true. If you're single, you can give what you want. You can spend what you want. You can buy the car or house that you want. You can decide on giving generously how much you want to give to the Lord. You can decide on a whim that you're going to fly to Europe. It still won't cost you that money, much money. You'll have money when you get back. You can give generously to people like others can't. You can live in a way, you can live very, very, in a very, <clears throat> excuse me, in a very small way just to bless others. can't really do that when you got six other people to feed. You can live in a way, you can bless others. You don't have people looking to you for attention and love. You can show that love to the world and to people who are dying, much like I think back to Bridget. I'm always dumbfounded when I look at my budget and find out how much just goes to food and clothing and housing and just for the six people who live with me. I mean, I'd be happy in a bunker with a bucket. But all these other anxieties. Now, married men don't get all jealous of single guys, okay? And married ladies, same thing. I heard a guy tell me one time, you know where men would be without women? I said, no, Garden of Eden. Not true. Not true. <laughs> Paul's point is well taken, isn't it? We understand what Paul is saying. If you are a single, if you're like Paul and you're single, be thankful. There's, there's a level of blessing and generosity. There's a level of freedom you have. And take advantage of that. Don't take that for granted. Take advantage of that to build God's kingdom. You're not worried about if you're... Uh, uh, children are safe. You, you can focus your attention on building God's kingdom. So my advice to you, if you're single, wholeheartedly embra embrace these blessings of being single. Do like Paul here. Don't gloat, but embrace this as a gift. This is a gift, and I receive this as a gift of God. It's a, it's a blessing for his kingdom. You think about Paul, his ability to travel, and even his willingness to be arrested. I just wonder, if he was, if he was married, he'd probably say, you know... Agabus, who gave the prophecy about him being arrested, Agabus, you're right. I'm going to avoid Jerusalem. I don't want to be arrested. My wife and kids wouldn't like to not have a daddy. But Paul said, I don't care. I want to go to Rome anyway. So he went down to Jerusalem, got arrested, got shipwrecked, went to prison, led a bunch of people to Christ in prison. That's what a single guy can do. Well, this brings me to a final point about being single. Being single requires great contentment. This is sort of your focus as a single person, contentment. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And so then Paul carries on with a number of examples of different areas of being content. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, there let him remain with God. Now, I need to do this because... Sometimes single people come up to me and they have this question, how can I know whether or not I'm called to be single? Because of this verse being misinterpreted, there's a, there's a little bit of a misconception, like there's this special calling out there that God's going to show up one day in your room as a burning floor lamp and tell you, thou shalt for the rest of your life be single. But that is not what Paul means here. 
In fact, if you take what we've already read, what Paul says, in context of your calling, it's simply wherever you are right now. So when people come to me and say, Pastor John, I'm just wondering as a single person if I'm called to be single, I ask them a question. Are you single? They say, yes. Well, then God's calling you to be single. Now, God may call you to be married later on, but don't worry about that. Right now, he's calling you to be single. This is, what, this is where you are. Think about St. Bridget. I don't think she ever in her mind thought, I will not be married or God told me not to be married. I think she just focused on what God called her to do and what, he, what she's supposed to do. She wants to do this. She wants to do this. And as she, did, as she lived her life, she became a blessing to many other people. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. You know, there's a, a verse in Proverbs 18, 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And a lot of young men have come to me and said, now see, you know, God wants me to go on this hunting expedition to find me a wife. And so many single fellows, that's what they do. They are constantly looking and looking and any perceived sign that some girl gives him, he just jumps on that like a beast on the prey. But the word there in the Hebrew, in Proverbs 18, the word there, finds, in the original, is not so much searches for and finds, but stumbles upon, discovers, not hunts down and scores the kill, not searches and searches for, but bumps into, discovers, happens upon. So single fellows especially, back off, especially when it comes to my girls. You're not on a hunting expedition. Just live your life abandoned to Christ. You don't have to do what the world says. Put yourself out there. You don't have to worry about that. If God wants you married, He knows your address. He knows how to bring the girl there. Don't worry about it. Be content where you are. Single ladies, it's not just the men who struggle with it, is it? I got five single ladies who live in my house. I know what you girls do. You pump your mind full of Downton Abbey and Jane Austen, and you fall in love with love. There's not even a guy out there. Just the, the fairy tale of love becomes something you're in love with. And you just, this idea, and it gets so bad. Sometimes, ladies, and I've seen this happen, a lady will just jump at whatever guy, bats his eyes at her, and she jumps at him, and next thing you know, she's married to a guy she wished she'd never met. So... Ladies, be careful. Guard your heart. Don't fall in love with love. Be content. Pastor Ryan told me this week, you're talking about this. He said there was a, uh, many years ago, not, not in this church, but a different church, many years ago, he was in a prayer meeting and a, one of his Navy buddies, single guy, stood up and was visibly angry, angry with God, I suspect. He said, I've been asking for a wife, God to give me a wife for a long time, and he's not giving me a wife. Maybe if you guys will ask, he'll give me one. Singles, why don't you focus on what you will give God rather than what you think God ought to give you? Focus on contentment. Trust in the Lord. Verse 35, he's given instruction for everyone to pursue this contentment, particularly those who are single. And then he says, what I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Don't you, singles, don't you want to find an unmixed devotion to Christ? Give, give God the responsibility for finding your spouse. 
Give him your undivided attention. Verse 40, and we're finished. Paul says about the single lady whose husband has died, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. In other words, he's saying, I'm speaking from a position of authority. I'm a happy guy. I'm very happy as a single person. And I believe she would be happy too being single. In other words, a single person is no less happy, no less full of God's Spirit, no less a Christian if they're finding contentment in Christ alone. So why not just pursue that? Let me tell you something. There are, you ask any married couple, there are dark places in marriage. There are hard times in marriage, and, and you're going to have to figure out how to find your solace in Christ alone. You're going to have to learn that. If anything, just focus on contentment and the joy and the gift of being single. Yes, it is hard. Jesus recognized that. But it is also a great gift. So singles know and calculate the hardship of singleness, but also the blessing, and above all, find your joy and contentment in Christ. All right, married people, you can wake up. We're going to have the Lord's table. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll do that. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. It, it so specifically identifies this condition, especially pre-marriage, but also, Lord, after marriage, people who've been divorced, people who've lost their spouse. Lord, there's so much truth here. But, Lord, if there's anything we take away, may we be people who are content. Thinking even the words of Paul there in 1 Corinthians 7, whether we be married or single, Lord, the focus should be contentment. And so, Lord, we do just that. We focus our attention upon you, Lord. We focus our joy upon you. May we be a people who are finding our greatest joy and greatest contentment and greatest happiness in Christ alone. And yes, Lord, you bring along other people, perhaps even a spouse, that bring us great joy, and children who bring us great joy. But Lord, ultimately, our joy is in you alone. So help, we love you, help us love you in this way. And Lord, I pray that we would focus our attention on the truths of Scripture, fill our minds with the word of Christ. May we abide in Christ. Let his words abide in us therefore produce fruit. Again, Lord, for those who don't know you, call them to salvation today. And though we do not deal directly with the story of the gospel, Lord, perhaps there are those who want that joy, the joy that only Jesus can provide. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to them, open their eyes to their need of a Savior, call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.